Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Dr. Jessica, the podcast where my goal is to give quality information to help anyone out there who cares for children. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hockman. Today's guest is my friend and allergist, Dr. Katie Marks-Kogan. Dr. Marks-Kogan has been on previously, way back on episode seven. And on that episode, we talked about how to prevent allergies. So in this episode, I bring Dr. Marks-Kogan back to talk about what steps can be taken should your child be diagnosed with an allergy. I think it is helpful to know what allergies may naturally be outgrown over time and what treatment options are available. So thank you to Dr. Marks-Kogan for joining the podcast again. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so appreciative if you would share it with friends, family, or even on your social media. And thank you to anyone out there who's left a five-star review. I read all of the comments and I appreciate them immensely. Now on to the podcast. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hi, Jessica. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Nice to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So full disclosure, Katie and I know each other because Katie has a product with my two brothers-in-law, so my two sisters' husbands, called Ready Set Food, which is an allergy prevention product, which we've talked about before, which I would encourage everyone to listen to, about how to prevent allergies. But I thought today we would talk about the other end, how to treat allergies. I think that sounds great. I mean, we, um, you know, we want to try obviously to prevent as, as many food allergies as we can now that we have some new science. But unfortunately, you know, food allergies are still being diagnosed on a daily basis. And there are plenty of people in this country living with food allergies. So I think it's great for everyone to be aware of sort of the natural history of food allergies and treatment options. Yes. And, and what I really want to talk with you about is a lot of people, we really don't want to get food allergies. We're doing what we can to not get allergies. But when kids do get diagnosed with allergies, is there hope? And so I wanted to have you on here to talk about one, uh, is this diagnosis forever? What can parents do about it? What options are there? So thank you for coming on to be that, that resource for us. Oh, of course. Absolutely. So first, let's talk about some of the most common food allergies that come up into your practice. Sure. So there are nine food, nine foods or food groups that make up about 90% of food allergies. Um, it's milk, egg, peanut, tree nuts, and tree nuts are different than peanut, right? Tree nuts are like almond and cashew and pistachio and walnut. Peanut is a legume. Uh, and then there's sesame, wheat, soy, fish, and shellfish. And a lot of food allergies are diagnosed in childhood. There are some more common adult onset food allergies, but most are diagnosed in childhood. And um, I see all kinds of food allergy. I see all of those. I see children, quote unquote, outgrow them or build tolerance, right? I see some of them persist. Whenever I make a diagnosis, a new diagnosis of a food allergy with a family who has never really, you know, had any um, history with food allergies, so doesn't know that much about it. Or even with a family that has a child, you know, a sibling that has a food allergy, but we're, you know, we're talking about a different food now. I always take the time to educate them on the specific food, the natural history. Is there a chance the child can outgrow it or not? And in, with, with some foods, there's, um, very, you know, it's very likely that the child will outgrow it. And with others, not so likely. 
And then uh, we make a shared decision about how to proceed from there. It used to just be that you would diagnose a food allergy and you would tell the family, okay, you have to avoid the food forever and here's an EpiPen and here you go. Not only now do we educate them so much more, but we make a shared decision on whether or not they want to continue to, or they want to start and then keep avoiding the food, or if they want to look into treatment options, such as oral immunotherapy or sublingual or patch, you know, things like that, that we'll get into. Um, so there are options now. So let's talk about the foods that kids are most likely to to outgrow or to build a tolerance to. What are those foods? Sure. Well, milk is the most common food allergy in young children. And about 80% of children by the time they're in their, you know, mid-teens will outgrow it. So um, it's also similar to egg, which is the other, the basically the second most common food allergy in children. About 70% of kids will outgrow it by their teenage years. And if you look at statistics, about half of children diagnosed with milk and egg will actually outgrow it by grade school. Interesting. And do parents have to do anything to facilitate their child building a tolerance or is this something that will happen regardless? Great question. So based on what we know today, if you extensively heat milk or egg, also called, you know, baked milk or egg, we think that in those patients who are able to tolerate that version of the milk or egg, and let me just say to those who are sort of unfamiliar with this, with milk and egg specifically, if you extensively heat them, then the proteins or the allergens, right, in those foods change shape. So the body doesn't react to them the same way. So the heat changes the shape so that the body doesn't react. So if we do that to milk and egg and, you know, we do it in a muffin form and the patient, the baby, the toddler is able to eat that form of milk or egg, then number one, they have a greater chance of outgrowing that allergy to begin with. And number two, we think that by keeping that form of egg or milk in their diet for at least a few months you know, three months, six months, um, for each patient, it can be a little different, that we may actually be hastening their tolerance to that specific food. Now, does it matter the severity of the allergy that the child has to the food? So I know there's a big range that I see in our practice of allergies. So some kids that eat egg have as, as big of, you know, sometimes I see kids who have an egg and they have a rash around their mouth. Some have vomiting, some have full anaphylaxis. So are these optimistic statistics true for all kids and all kinds of reactions? No, that's a really good point. There are certain, um, there are certain characteristics of a child's food allergy, uh, reaction, their, um, their workup in terms of the size of their skin test, which is one of the ways that we diagnose food allergies, um, the the level of their antibodies in the blood, which is another way that we, uh, another uh, test that we use to help diagnose um, whether or not they have, you know, mild as uh, mild eczema or severe eczema. You know, eczema is that itchy skin disorder that causes like red, itchy, dry skin. Um, and yes, and then the severity, like you said. Now, 
in infants, uh, food allergy reactions are actually more mild. And then as they get older, they tend to become more severe. And that is seen anecdotally in practice. I see it in my practice as well. And it's been shown in studies. So it might also be that the younger the child, the less severe the reaction is going to be, right? So that's one thing to think about. But yes, you are right. There are certain things that will decrease the likelihood that a child will outgrow that food allergy. So let's say a family comes to me and they have a rash in response to milk or a mild, a, a, a pretty mild reaction, but a reaction nevertheless. Should they see an allergist or can they try a baked milk product or a baked dairy product on their own at home? Yeah. And what would that look like? Yeah. So I never encourage anyone to do a a baked, you know, challenge or trial on their own without seeing an allergist. But I think the pediatrician, based on their level of comfort with the reaction that the baby has, should be able to help the family make a decision on if they should, should see an allergist or not. Now, I always say that if a rash is only from contact. So for example, a lot of babies get red rashes around their mouth when they're eating and it's anywhere that the food touched. Um, sometimes it can just look like red splotches. Sometimes it can actually look like hives, which are those like bumps, right? Sort of the whitish looking bumps with red around them. Um, and generally, if that is only from contact and there are no other symptoms, right, the baby eats a, 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 at least a good amount of that food and they have no other symptoms, they only have that rash from contact, then generally speaking, they do not need to avoid that food. So they don't need to worry about about an, a food allergy at that point. But yes, they should talk to their pediatrician. Um, now, if they get a mild rash, so let's say they eat egg and the baby gets some mild hives. That should definitely um, trigger a referral to an allergist, and then they can help manage the right um, sort of the right pathway, right? So I'm every every allergist is different. I basically challenge all of my infants to baked egg or baked milk, whether or not the reaction was severe or if it was mild. I challenge all of them because. About eight out of 10 babies will pass a baked egg or baked milk challenge. And what will that look, what will that look like? What, can you give me an example of something that's, I mean, some parents will get Lego waffles. Is that legitimate? What do you recommend as a, as a trial? So if we're doing it in the allergist office or if I'm recommending it, I use the standardized muffin recipe from Mount Sinai. So there was studies done about baked egg and baked milk. And we have a standardized recipe, so we give it to the parents. They make it the night before, the morning of. They bring it in. We do a challenge. We start with a pea size amount. We wait about 15, 30 minutes, depending. Then we increase the amount, and we see if the baby can eat, you know, the whole muffin or the dose that we think is appropriate without having a reaction. And then they've passed the challenge, right? And we check their skin, and we look for symptoms in between each dose, Um, There are some rare occasions where I will have parents do sort of an informal challenge like that at home. And, you know, it's based on on so many different factors. There's probably, it's probably extremely low risk, right? And sometimes it just makes families feel more comfortable and things like that. 
Um, but that is the standard baked egg, baked milk. And then once they pass, we give them handouts on what foods they can and can't eat. I'm just thinking if I could guarantee that my child wouldn't have a reaction or that someone wouldn't have a reaction, what a great doctor's visit to go and get a muffin. Oh, I love it. The kids love it. I mean, they basically come in, they're, they're nervous. They think I'm going to give them a shot. And we just look at their skin, tickle them, play with them, you know, chat with them. And they're in happy moods. They start eating their muffin and assuming, you know, all goes well and they finish the muffin, they, you know, hug me and, and say, can I come back and all these things. Oh, lovely. I love it. And even, you know, even those who don't, who don't pass, um, you know, generally we're very cautious. So we stop the challenge, you know, before it, it gets serious. And fortunately I haven't had any serious reactions. Now, okay. So we talked about dairy and eggs and the, encouraging news uh, about how they will likely outgrow them by the time they're teenagers. What about the other foods that you listed in that amongst those nine groups of foods? Yeah. So the other really important one that everyone asks about is peanut because it is an, the, one of the top uh, childhood food allergies, peanut allergy. It's unlikely that a child will outgrow a peanut allergy, but it is not zero. It's actually somewhere close to about 20%. So a lot less than milk and egg, but there is hope. And it does come down to some of the things we just spoke about, you know, the severity of the reaction, whether or not they have eczema, do they have other food allergies, right? So kids that have one food allergy are more likely to have another. And of those, they're less likely to outgrow if they have multiple food allergies. Um, so those are some things that make make it less likely. With regard to tree nuts, it's a little bit worse. About 10% will outgrow a tree nut allergy. So that's uh, very likely lifelong. Sesame is about the same as tree nuts. And, you know, sesame has become a very prevalent food allergy here in the U.S. It's definitely been in Europe, but now here in the U.S. we're seeing it quite a bit. And it was just added to the labeling law. So now it has to be labeled on um, packaged foods. Um, and shellfish? So, so shellfish is, it's very unlikely if you get diagnosed as a child, it's very unlikely to outgrow shellfish. Now that is the most common adult onset food allergy, but if you are diagnosed with shellfish, it's unlikely you will outgrow it. And then there's wheat and soy. Those are, I don't see them as often in terms of making a diagnosis in a child, but if I do, those are generally outgrown by, you know, the end of preschool. Okay. That's good news. Yeah. Very I love good the positive news. news. Yes. It's very good. So I wanted to talk about my nephew's story because I think it's so encouraging for families. I'm really trying to sort of spread hope about allergies because there's so much, um, it's so stressful for families when their kids are diagnosed with an allergy and I want them to know what available options they have. So as you know, my nephew, Abe, he had multiple allergies to every kind of, I think the top nine foods he was allergic to and he's since outgrown them and he's six years old. Um, and he did something called um, oral immunotherapy. And I, I wanted to know if you could explain that to people so that they know what it entails and what it is and what it looks like. Yeah. Um, 
let me say one thing with regard to Abe. Um, you know, we're all friends. We're we're sort of just using him as this this model for a child with multiple food allergies, right? And and again, I love that you want to spread hope. Um, because I think that is a great mission to have. And that's one of, you know, my missions. That's our mission with Ready, Set, Food, um, et cetera. He hasn't necessarily um, outgrown these food allergies. He has built tolerance to them because of the treatment that he has been on and is currently on called oral immunotherapy, right? So, Maybe for some, he's built tolerance. And, you know, the question in terms, you know, with like milk and egg is, would he have built it anyway, right? Because so many children outgrow it anyway, or is it because of the the treatment? And we don't know the answer. But for some of the foods, he hasn't outgrown them, meaning he can't just go and eat a, a peanut butter sandwich and, you know, a bag of Bumba and peanut butter candy all in a, in a day at one time. He has to sort of stick with a specific amount, you know, with specific frequencies. So the goal of oral immunotherapy is to get a patient to a tolerance level where if they were to have an accidental ingestion of that allergen, that they wouldn't have a, a reaction or they wouldn't have a severe reaction. Um, so that's sort of how oral immunotherapy started. Now, there are programs that are looking at ways to try to build tolerance and keep tolerance and allow free eating. Free eating meaning you can go and eat all of that peanut and be fine, right? So all of this is evolving over the past even just 10 years. And it's so such an exciting time to be an allergist and um, you know be in the food allergy space because all of this is happening. So it's really nice for parents to have this option. Um, so basically what it is, is it's where the patient, the child eats small amounts of that allergen. Um, they basically are, do it either in an allergist's office or in a hospital, like a food allergy clinic, and they are fed small amounts that increase over time and they have to maintain that exposure at home. So an example would be they get a small amount of peanut at the allergist's office, make sure they don't have a reaction. They have to eat that small amount every day for two weeks and they go back to the allergist and they increase the amount. And they keep doing that for many months until they get to a maintenance dose. Um, so that is done with almost all allergens right now. There are many centers that do it. There's also something called sublingual immunotherapy and that's where you take the allergens and you do drops under the tongue. It's the same idea in terms of the mechanism, right? We're sort of desensitizing this child and building tolerance to the food that they're allergic to. Just as a bystander watching my, my sister, my brother-in-law with my nephew, I mean, gosh, it's been so stressful for them because he was allergic to so many foods and he would have true anaphylaxis. My sisters had to use EpiPens with him. And it's so nice to see that while she's had to put a lot of time into his therapy, you know, she takes him, drives him to a doctor, he gets uh, immunotherapy and he has to go home and follow a strict regimen. The last time I was with him, I watched him eat 26 peanuts in one sitting. And I have to tell you, it was the best feeling to watch to watch that. I mean, just, it's just incredible that, that there's this, 
option for, now I know it's not for every kid, but that there is something out there available for parents to do. Absolutely. It's, it's such a nice feeling as a parent to know that if your child goes on a play date or if your child, you know, goes on a, on a school trip or camp or something that they're almost going to be protected in some way, right? EpiPen should always be available, but I think, you know, the anxiety level for some parents, um, gets so much better after treatment. Now, as you mentioned, treatment isn't for everyone. I mean, this is where you really, you know, if I say to parents when I'm giving talks, if you get to, if your child gets diagnosed with a food allergy, please make sure that your allergist spends time discussing the options with you, that you're educated and that you make a shared decision. And if your allergist doesn't, then please go find one who does, because it really comes down to a shared decision. Not every family has the time, the energy, the resources to be going every two weeks to a clinic. Um, they might not want to take the risk. It is, there is a risk involved. You're yes. feeding a child a food they're allergic to, and they very well could have reactions. Now, those are monitored. There's guidelines, you know, et cetera. But there is a risk, and some parents don't want to take that risk. Some are fine avoiding the food, or at least for the time being. So just as long as they know their options, and then, you know, I, I try to guide them and give them advice. Um, but again, it's, it's not for everyone, but for those who do it and for someone like Abe, it is an absolute life changer and so wonderful to see. Now, I don't know if you know this data or the answer to this question, but I know we talked about how peanut allergies, there's a 20% chance that a child will outgrow or develop tolerance to peanuts. If children do oral immunotherapy, what are the chances that they will just be able to live life and have an accidental ingestion of a peanut and be okay? I mean, because I think for so many parents, that's the goal they would love to know that they can go on a play date or go to camp. And if they accidentally have a peanut, it's not anaphylaxis. So right. does oral immunotherapy, the odds have to be better than 20%. Um, so you're saying of the peanut allergic kids who go through oral immunotherapy, Yes. How many of them are then able, are, are basically able to, to pass oral immunotherapy? The stats for that are very, very good. Most children that go through a program will be able to graduate and have this protective effect. Now, some don't finish for multiple reasons. I mean, there's food aversion, right? I mean, this is a food they're allergic to. And you have to find a way to get them to eat it. Um, there could be some mild reactions that occur and that makes a child not want to continue or a parent not want to continue. So, But for those that are able to get to the end, it's extremely encouraging. I love hearing yeah. that because I think, honestly, for a lot of parents, okay, to avoid peanut butter and to avoid peanut products, that's a reasonable way to live. We can do that. But where the fear comes in is that accidental ingestion. They go to a restaurant or a birthday party. And so I think it's nice to know that there's good statistics on oral immunotherapy. Yes, very much so. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, what's interesting is I have a lot of kids who naturally don't like the food they're allergic to. As you mentioned, like we'll, we'll say try a peanut and they don't, they don't like it. They don't like the smell of it. It's interesting how the body knows. Oh yeah. Our, our, 
Well, I like to say our immune system's really smart. Sometimes, sometimes it's too smart for its own good, right? When it reacts to these these proteins and foods that it that it thinks are harmful, and it, it really shouldn't, right? Because they're really not harmful. So it's a little little overreactive, a little dramatic, um, you could say. Right, um, right. But in general, yes, our bodies our bodies tell us things. If a parent's listening who wants to consider going to an allergy center where there's uh, where there's immunotherapy available, where can they start? Do you have any advice on that? Yes, there's actually a website where you can look up doctors, allergists who do oral immunotherapy, www.oit101.org. So www.oralimmunotherapyoit101.org. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Is there any any last advice that you'd like to give to parents listening? Um, it's a good question. I would say that if your child is diagnosed with a food allergy, please educate yourselves and please make sure that your allergist works with you to help you find the resources you need and to help you make the decisions that you need to make. You know, I always say I can't, if I can't make a decision, it's because I don't have enough information. And so if you're feeling that way, then don't be afraid to ask for more guidance because that's why we're here. And because this field is evolving so quickly and we're finding out so much new information, please, you know, stay up to date with your allergist and follow up, um, you know, in, in some regular manner so that you can be aware of everything. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on. The last time I saw you was on Shark Tank. So it's nice to see you here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Also, if you could take a moment and leave a five-star review wherever it is you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. It really makes a difference to help this podcast grow. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ask Dr. Jessica. See you next Monday.